the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. You'll notice that Christ died according to the Scripture. He rose again according to the Scripture. Therefore, what is the burial there for? <laughs> so the first part, point uh, was buried. Uh, note, no according to the Scripture, even though there are Scriptures that deal with his burial. Okay? Uh, so two things. First of all, burial is for the dead. Roman soldiers knew what a dead body was. The idea that Jesus could have fainted on the cross, been put into the grave, and the cool air in the grave would have revived him so that he could move off to France with Mary Magdalene and have a family is utterly ridiculous. And yet, we have books and movies uh, about this happening. Ay, So burial, he was buried. Why? Because he was dead. And, and it wasn't a matter of, well, there was a bunch of rookie soldiers and they didn't know that he wasn't dead. They stabbed him in the chest with a spear. Hello. <laughs> you know, that's going to cause a little bit of trauma and uh, problems for the body. So the gospel tells of Joseph of Arimathea receiving the body of Jesus to put in his grave, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 9. Let me read that one for you. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So uh, the four gospels, you can see the verses where you're going to see how Joseph of Arimathea got permission from uh, Pontius Pilate to receive the body and to bury him. So that brings us rose from the grave, part one, according to the scripture. So first of all, the doctrine of the resurrection. The word resurrection is anastasis. It means a standing up again, a resurrection from death, raised to life again, resurrection, rise from the dead, that should rise, rising again. Now, notice how this person is rising. They are not rising from being having fainted. They are rising from the dead. The word specifically points out that he is dead. It is used 43 times in the New Testament, and uh, they add a prefix to it uh, three times, showing that he rose out of or from. Okay? It is used referring uh, to two separate resurrections, uh, this word resurrection. First of all, the resurrection of Christ, and second of all, the resurrection of humanity, which includes both the saved and the unsaved. Okay, there is a first resurrection, there is a second resurrection. The first resurrection is going to be all the believers that have passed. Now, we look at the rapture being the church and say, there's the resurrection of the saved ones. We kind of forget that during the tribulation, people are going to get saved. And they're going to be raised at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, along with Abraham and all of the Old Testament saints. And then um, the second resurrection is going to be at the end of the millennial kingdom where all unbelievers will be raised, stand before uh, the great white throne, and then uh, dealt with accordingly. Uh, my 
old sense of humor came in and I was about to say something else, but dealt with appropriately is uh, probably better. So that brings us to letter B, according to the scriptures, the Old Testament predictions of the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 16, 9 and 10 is probably the clearest. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Now that David's writing, he's saying that his flesh is going to rest in hope, hope being the concept of looking forward in faith to what God has said will happen. He says, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's his hope, that he's not going to be left in this holding tank for souls, but uh, he's going to go beyond that And nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption again in the mindset of the Jew. Uh, After three days, the soul leaves the body. The body begins to decay. And that would be the seeing of corruption. And he's saying, you're not going to let that happen to your Holy One. So uh, that is Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Psalm 22, uh, 22 to 31. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. For uh, who you, ah, excuse me, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Uh, The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. At the ends of the world uh, shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the world shall uh, remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship uh, before you. For those who go down to dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to the people who will be born that, uh, that he has done this. And again, obviously, you see this concept of what's going to be happening during the millennial kingdom on the earth, and it's dealing with this uh, holy one, this uh, one that suffered the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here he is alive. And it's obvious in the first part of the chapter that he died. Uh, Psalm 118, 22 to 24, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, again, the builders rejected it. We know from the New Testament, the builders are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They rejected the Christ, but he becomes the chief cornerstone or the, um, the head, the capstone. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, it's amazing how some of those words escape. They're just gone. Whoa. Uh, So those are some Old Testament predictions of the resurrection of Christ. Old uh, Old Testament predictions repeated in the New Testament. Uh, They basically all refer to Psalm 16, 9, and 10. But one from Peter is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 31. And one from Paul in Acts chapter 13, verses 30 to 37. So they saw Psalm 16, 9, and 10 as an obvious, understood situation. Here it's been fulfilled in uh, Jesus Christ. Number three, Christ's predictions in the gospel. 
Well, if you go back and look at the gospel, let me see. Did I pull those up? No, I didn't. I figured uh, this would be one of those things you could look at yourself. I'm looking to see. Yes, actually, I did. Shame on me. <laughs> okay, so uh, Matthew sixteen twenty one. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. 1723, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. 1428 of Mark, uh, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And, and again, you can continue to look at some of these other verses. It is quite obvious that uh, Christ knew that not only was he going to die, but that he was going to rise again. Now, did Christ have hope? He believed what God told him about something that was going to happen in the future. That's what hope is. He knew that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. Uh, why is that important? Well, in a day and an age when we see more and more where the leaders of our country are heading in this particular direction, and at least by some, we've already been considered for a few decades now, but it's becoming more important, uh, that we are probably the, uh, let me see, the most dangerous people in this country, uh, domestic terrorists and that kind of thing. Uh, the reality is, is if um, it ever hits the fan, that kind of a thing, um, who are they going after? Uh, chances are we're going to be in the target, at which point you have to remember the hope that you have in you. That, yes, they can kill the body, can't kill the soul, and I know the one who can, and he's already promised that I'm going to be raised up. Um, all of the disciples understood that by the time that time in their life came. Um, and, and again, the reason why it's important is we've been saying for year, years how blessed we are that we haven't suffered persecution. I mean, if someone spits in your face, wow, that's a big deal. Well, the day may come. Now, it, it may not. Christ could come back, rapture the church, and then let all hell break loose. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is chances are it's going to happen. And uh, we have to have the right mindset before we hit it. Otherwise, we may give in, comply, and uh, that kind of a thing. Okay, so letter A, um, oh, excuse me, uh, yeah, letter, uh, number four, the resurrection. We find the resurrection in Matthew 28, 1 to 10, Mark 16, 1 to 13, Luke 24, 1 to 12, and John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. So here's uh, what we know from those passages. And again, uh, you can take the time to look at them. First of all, it happens, uh, the resurrection happens on the first day of the week. And for all the people that are confused about that, that's Sunday. <laughs> I... I, I in my little bit of time on social media, it is amazing to me how many people don't know that the first day of the week is Sunday. I know you all know it here, but just wanted to clarify. Uh, letter B, there is an earthquake that uh, apparently rolled the stone away. Now, in Matthew 28, 2, it actually talks about an earthquake. It says, uh, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. 
I don't know about you, but I love this picture <laughs> because there are Roman soldiers guarding this tomb. And uh, they're just supposed to make sure the disciples don't show up and steal the body. And this angel comes down. He's probably glowing, okay? And he moves this stone all by himself. Now, earthquake, shaking of the earth. But somehow this stone gets moved between the two of them. And then he sits up on top of it and says, I broke your seal. What you going to do about it? <laughs> so uh, I personally uh, appreciate the picture. Uh, the other uh, passages, Mark, Luke, and John, all just talk about uh, the stone being rolled away, uh, possibly by an angel, but it doesn't say anything about an earthquake. Uh, letter C, the Marys. Notice that is plural. That's not possessive. There are two Marys that arrive uh, at the tomb. They're concerned about how they're going to move the stone so they can finish preparing the body, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. Uh, go back up to number three for a minute. We have Matthew 16, 21, 17, 23, Mark 14, 28, Luke 18, 33, John 2, 19 through 20, and John 10, 17 to 18. And I am sure that is not all of the times that he told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And when he died, it was over in their minds. These ladies are coming to finish a job that was started two days previous and uh, it didn't get finished, apparently. It got finished enough, but not, not complete. So they're coming to finish the job because he's dead. It's over. <laughs> okay? So they're concerned about uh, who's going to move the stone for them, etc. When they get there, letter D, some angels are already there kind of waiting for them. Um, now, it may be the same angel that we see up in there in Matthew 28 too, that's sitting on top of the stone, but apparently these guys might have been, uh, they, were, they were kinder and gentler. Uh, they weren't sitting on top of the stone, they were actually inside, so when they looked in, uh, why are you looking uh, for the living among the dead? You know? And, and don't be afraid, you know, that kind of thing. So we see that the, the soldiers were scared by those angels coming in Matthew 28, 4 and John 20, verse 1. Uh, in Luke 24, that's the, why are you looking for the living among the dead? The angels actually ask questions. And then in uh, Matthew 28, 2 to 7 and Mark 16, 5 to 8, the angels actually give directions to the ladies, go back and tell uh, the disciples, He'll meet him in Galilee, which was always one of those confusing things for me because he's going to meet them over the next couple of days right here in the Jerusalem area. Then he's going to meet him in Galilee a couple of times on top of that. So I just thought, okay, well, whatever. So that brings us to letter E. Mary, uh, The Marys go and tell the disciples that they have met Jesus uh, or that he's uh, been raised, but on the way, they get to meet him in Matthew 28, 8 to 10. Okay? Um, the Marys tell the disciples in Mark 16, 8, Luke 24, 9 and 10, John 20, 2 through 18. And it is interesting because letter G, the disciples' reaction, they do not believe. Hmm. They were not a lot different than we are. 
He told them, he told them, he told them. In fact, I read to you one of them, and they were very sorrowful. They had some concept of what he said. And when he finally rises again, yeah, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> so uh, you can see those in uh, uh, passages listed there, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and then letter H, uh, in Matthew 28, uh, we have to understand what the soldiers did when they were scared out of their uniforms. They ran back to the religious leaders, explained what happened, and they devised this lie that the body had been stolen. Now, if the Roman soldiers, and maybe these guys are temple soldiers, um, but it doesn't matter, uh, they know what their job is. That uh, tomb has been sealed. It is not allowed to be broken. So if they fail, chances are they're going to lose their lives. And in this passage it says, and if the governor says anything, who's the governor? Pontius Pilate. If he says anything, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. You just lie with us. Um, no one's lying with anybody in politics right now, are they? Now, now the only reason why I bring that up, well, it's twofold. Uh, doing our family book study on the letter to the American church, uh, we're going to cover a chapter this uh, next time. Be ye not political. There's a reason why people believe that. There's a reason why people get upset about that. What I try and show you when I bring up these things is that the methodology of the enemy has not changed. Okay? You get the right people to say the right things. People just go along with it, and it's kind of like, okay. We are involved in spiritual warfare. This is not just a, a story, okay? And everything that's going on right now is not just a story. We're involved in spiritual warfare. Okay, so that brings us to evidences. Well, in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So not only does he rise again, but he uh, visits them a multitude of times over the next 40 days. He continues to teach them. And it says here, uh, he presents himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Hmm. Wonder what that means. Just appearing in a closed, locked room where there's no entrance. He just walks through a wall. Yeah, that's a pretty infallible proof, but okay, he walked through the wall. That's probably a ghost, but he ate with them. He challenged them to touch him. Hmm. Did he do any miracles? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but there are many infallible proofs, uh, if you will, many pr uh, infallible evidences, okay? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, which is the, uh, what happens after the presentation of the gospel in 15. It says, He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Now, P Paul is listing the twelve because that's the common uh, number for the disciples. Obviously, only eleven of them are, al are alive at this point. Uh, they finally had to find someone in Acts chapter 1 to take the place, that kind of thing. And then in 15, 6 it says, and after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren 
at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Um, <laughs> 500 witnesses. Uh, how many times was Trump impeached? Uh, two times. Uh, only president that's ever been impeached two times. First time he was impeached for the Russian collusion, which now we have a report that says, yeah, that like never happened. So he was impeached for something he didn't do. Uh, the second time was uh, his call to the Ukrainian uh, president. And um, it was one of those quid pro quo type things, supposedly. Uh, the reality is, is he didn't withhold any money unlike somebody else who actually bagged, bragged about withholding that money. And uh, everything that they used as evidence against him was hearsay. Well, I heard so-and-so say, well, let's go talk to so-and-so. I never said that. Uh, or no, I didn't mean it like that or, or whatever. Uh, whole point being is um, here we have 500 eyewitnesses all at the same time. Is that an infallible proof? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, we have two uh, court situations right now with Trump, and if you listen to legal analysts, not on your n local media, uh, <laughs> but if you listen to a lot of uh, local analysts, they know that the one in New York, yeah. Um, no, they had to change the law just so it wouldn't be past the uh, statute of limitations. And then he gives 37 counts, but... He's not over half of them, and the other half, yeah, it didn't quite happen that way. So we'll see how that one works out. Now this new one, um, again, 37 counts, and the legal experts are saying, yeah, um, th this case is going to probably be dismissed maybe the first time they go to court. Now, I, I doubt personally it'll be dismissed first time they go to court. But again, there's no legal evidence for the wrongdoing that he has claimed to have done. And so the difference being, enemy is still trying to use these kinds of things, but in this case, 500. How many witnesses do you need? Two to establish anything. And he's got 500. That, and many of them at the time of Paul's writing are alive, even though some have fallen asleep. Acts chapter 10, verse 41 uh, not to all the people, but to witness chosen, uh, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So again, he didn't appear to everybody. He didn't go down to their temple and say, "Hey, where's those religious leaders that killed me a couple of days?" There, there was no reason to do that. But he appeared to the people that God had chosen. Uh, to see him. So that brings us to the sightings. After he has been raised from the dead, uh, let's deal with some of the sightings. Uh, and notice, I do not have the sighting of the 500. Why? Because the Bible doesn't tell us when that happened. Uh, though I imagine when he ascended into heaven, there was more than 12. Okay? So in uh, Mark 16, 9 and 10, John 20, verses 11 to 17, uh, his uh, first appearance is to Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene was the one that had uh, seven spirits in her cast out by Jesus. A lot of people say that she was a prostitute and that's why she had seven demons. There is no evidence in Scripture that she was a prostitute. She just had seven demons and uh, that uh, was dealt with by Jesus. And it's interesting, 
when the Marys come to do the job, somehow Mary Magdalene stays, talks to what she thinks is the gardener, and ends up talking to Jesus, finding out that he's Jesus. And uh, he actually has to say, yo, girl, don't hang on to me because I haven't gone to the Father yet. Uh, Go back and tell the boys where I'm going to be, that kind of a thing. So that's the first one. Uh, and, and the second one, uh, there's two places where this concept is told, and we, we don't know that they're the same event, but I, I kind of think that they are. He has an appearing to two disciples on the road. That's in Mark 16, 12, and 13. And in Luke 24, 13 to 35, notice a lot more verses. He appears to the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, and they get talking about what had happened. And then he shows them from the Scripture how it had to happen that way. And then he shares uh, the Lord's table with them, at which point their eyes are open. So here you've got a couple of disciples walking down the road with their eyes closed, right? And he's talking to them, and they don't recognize his voice. Now, when I say their eyes are closed, obviously their eyes are opened. Did Jesus appear to them differently than they recognized? Or did they just not see him until he was ready for them to see him? And I think it's the second. Same with Mary Magdalene. I think that uh, she's thinking he's dead. So she's not seeing what's there to be seen until the time comes that he kind of removes the veil from the eyes, at which point, okay, they all got it. They, they understood who she was or who he was. Uh, in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 25, he appears to the ten, and uh, the one that is missing is Thomas. And so therefore we see in Mark 16, 14, Luke 24, and in John uh, he appears to the eleven. Now, uh, the difficulty about the John one is uh, he appears to eleven in uh, John twenty twenty six to twenty nine, and then the very next verse, if we go down a little bit further um, to uh, seven number two, the Sea of Tiberias, the rest- restoration of Peter. No, that's not it. Where is it? It is the commissioning of his disciples. Oh, I. Oh, confused a couple of these. Oh, uh, to the 10 in John 20, uh, that's 6-3. The 10, John 20, 19 to 25. And to the 11 is actually eight days later. Uh, You'll see that in verse 26. So other sightings. Well, we have a sighting in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. They're in Galilee, and this is where we have the Great Commission. Now, I assume that the Great Commission is going to be shortly before he ascends. Um, We also have at the Sea of Tiberias, this is the restoration of Peter in John chapter 21. Okay, now if you're unfamiliar, uh, this is where he asks Peter three times, do you love me? The first time he asks him, do you have agape type love for me? At which Peter says, Yeah, I said one day that I would be willing to die for you. I really blew it on that one, so I'm not going to step out in faith and say I have agape-type love for you. I'm going to say I have a brotherly love for you. I I, I phileo you. Okay? And feed my sheep. 
And uh, in other words, I got something for you to do. Um, and it's a whole lot more important than fishing. In fact, he even asked him, do you love me more than these? And people argue about, well, is it the fishing? Is it the other disciples? He thought, you know, great, Christ is risen, but I betrayed him three times. I'm going to go back to what I know. I know fishing. So I'm going to go fishing. And of course, they didn't catch too many things that day or that night, I should say, because they did their fishing at night. And so Jesus appears on the bank of the, on the shore and says, hey, cast your, boat, uh, your nets on the right side. And they go, is that him? They cast their notes on the right side. Sure enough, they, they catch all kinds of fish. Uh, Peter jumps in the water. It's kind of like, yeah, we, I'm not waiting until we row back there. He gets in the water. He's swimming back and uh, sees Jesus. Hey, uh, Peter, do you love me more than all this? I think it's the fishing. Sure, the fishing comes with the guys. Uh, the guys are younger. They look up to him as leader. Uh, but do you love me more than all of that? Yeah, I, I phileo you. So he asked him a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Uh, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Well, then you're going to have tend my sheep. And then he asked him the third time, do you phileo me? At which point Peter's saying, I they, and he probably said that too. <laughs> um, he goes, you know, once I said I loved him so much that I was willing to die for him, that didn't work out too well. Now he's actually using the terminology that I used. Do I have that in me? Now, why do I go through this again? I know we've gone through it in the past. Because the reality is, every time we choose the sin that uh, seems to get the better of us, we're doing the same thing that Peter did when he denied the Lord. And that doesn't put you in a place where, okay, well, I, I just can't serve the Lord anymore you know, I kind of phileo him. I, I brotherly love him, but I'm supposed to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I can't do that, so I'm just going to kind of sit back and do nothing. And I want you to understand, he doesn't let Peter off. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, you got to do what you got to do, and that's follow me. And the reason why that's important is because it is based on the fact that he has risen from the dead. It is not based upon the fact that Peter might have maybe tried to really harden. No, it, he's risen from the dead. And we'll be uh, spending some time on that over the next few weeks. So uh, those are the other sightings. Letter eight, the commissioning of the disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, he says, All authority is given unto me. Now, it's interesting because back in John 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there, it says when it was time for dinner, he knowing that his time was up, that he was what he was going to do, where he came from and where he was going, he disrobed, he wrapped a towel around him, picked up the dish and went around and washed everybody's feet. That is before the commissioning well before the commissioning, before the death. The death was going to happen the next day, uh, that kind of thing. And, and the reason why that's important is because he already had received everything from his father back there in the earlier chapter in John. 
but he's reiterating it as he's commissioning them. All authority is given unto me. Okay? And let me just read it here for you. Uh, In heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Now, that's in the command version. Chances are the command and the present active indicative are the same form. So it could actually be saying, as you're going. I prefer the second one. The reason if everybody's going, then who's staying? Nobody. Well, who's paying for all the people that are going? And again, that's my cultural understanding of missions that comes into that. But if he's saying, as you're going, who's he talking to? Everybody. And I think that's important because it's not the missionaries that went that are, they've got to do it. It's not the pastor who decided to get into ministry. He's got to do it. No, it is everybody gets to do it as you're going. Uh, One of my struggles right now is volunteerism. Um, We have made a variety of announcements uh, from the pulpit and getting people to volunteer, unless you go and tackle them and and sit on top of them, uh, seems to be a difficult concept. Okay? Uh, they wanted to actually have an announcement this morning about junior church. And we need men to help out in junior church. You know, we have enough people in this church that if people volunteered, you might only have to serve about once every three months. The reason why people have to serve every month, sometimes twice a month, is because we can't get other people to join in. Uh, Why not? Well, whose authority are they under? No, no, it has nothing to do with authority. See, somebody will do it. You know who ends up doing it? Nobody. Uh, Johnny Kicklider and Jeff are out here uh, sealing cracks in the parking lot for five hours yesterday. Uh, it was a nice day to do it. They uh, put the announcement out there. Hey, anybody got some, a little bit of time? You don't got to stay here for five hours. Just got some time. Um, yeah, they, they, they were by themselves. Okay. Uh, I, I was mowing four lawns. Dave uh, Wells was here mowing uh, his portion of the lawn. Uh, I understand people are busy. Everybody's busy. But volunteering at the church seems to be a difficult thing because I am the authority of my calendar. Ooh. And then, because we can't find anybody, here, here's what we go to. If we can just get a warm body. You know what warm bodies do? Generate heat. <laughs> uh, years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, we need warm bodies. So the junior hires, who had had about an hour of fun every Awana night, in uh, 10 minutes of Bible, they found out we only had 20 minutes of fun in, in the youth group. Uh, we studied the Bible for about an hour, and well, no. So they, they decided they wanted to be LITers. Now, an LITer is a leader in training. And, uh, well, they would stand in the hallways and talk with each other when they were needed in the classroom. And then pastor put together a little, okay, if they're leaders in training, here's some of the things that ought to be happening. And the leaders ought to be holding them accountable for the kinds of things that they ought to be happening. They ought to be reading, uh, doing devotions. 
Uh, they ought to be memorizing scripture. Um, they ought to, you know, did, did you talk to anybody about the Lord this week? And when we presented that to the Iwana leaders, the Iwana leaders said, no, we're already too busy. We can't do that too. I understand. Iwana leaders are busy. But see, we weren't really invo- interested in training leaders. We wanted warm bodies. We still see that from time to time when we're looking for volunteers. The reality is, as Christ said, as you're going, all of you, as you're going. Now, some, I know one lady, her as, her as she's going means she's normally here on Monday mornings getting uh, the bread all straightened out on the tables so that people will, can see what we have. And then she takes a bunch of it and she goes around to the lock-ins, the elderly that uh, aren't able to come to church. And she spends time with them, gives them a little bit of bread, uh, encourages them in the Lord and stuff like that. Hallelujah. So are we going to get her to volunteer in uh, junior church? No, we're not. But she's going. So as you're going, all of you, um, make disciples. My sarcasm gets the best of me sometimes, and I tell people, we don't believe in making disciples. Okay? And, And you'll sit there and say, yes, we do. And I'll sit there and say, we believe in having Sunday school, Awana, and the various programs But if a kid is a problem, your parents better deal with that. We don't want them in here. Now, I understand how difficult it is to have them in there. Uh, I walked by uh, Junior Church this morning and uh, saw the two of our married uh, leaders were in there, and I was kind of like, where's your second? Um, They're not here yet. And they were taking... uh, uh, attendance or whatever. And uh, two of the kids were arguing with each other over one seat. You know how that works. And it was a brother and a sister. And the brother had come in, seen his sister's Bible there, and moved it to the other end, and then sat in her seat. And the teachers are trying to speak, and these two are fighting. And of course, because we're relatively permissive in our parenting, especially other people's kids, um, Nothing was being done about it. And I, I'm sorry, that just bugs the living daylights out of me. It's kind of like, hey, what's going on? And of course, the leaders are going, <laughs> kind of, what, what's the problem here? Well, he moved my Bible and took my seat. I go, well, there's a seat right there. Why don't you scoot it over there? Now, where's your Bible? All the way down there. I go, go get it and scoot the chair in. You can still sit there. No big deal. And then as soon as she went and got her Bible, the brother goes, can I sit down there? Yes. You who steal the seat from your sister. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- this is some of the crazy stuff. Let's deal with these issues, okay? Make disciples. He goes on, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, one of the things I pointed out to these kids was, you know, why, why do you have to purposely annoy your sister? Is this called loving your neighbor like you love God? No, no. Uh, in uh, Mark 16, <clears throat> 15 through 18, he says, 
go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak a new la- with new languages. They will pick up snakes. And if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. Uh, they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And it's interesting, a lot of sign gifts in there. Some people argue about whether or not this was actually part of uh, uh, Mark's writings or if it was added later. Well, most of the things that happen here, we actually read about in the Bible. They, they happened, okay? Uh, and then they stopped happening. And people like to use this to say, see, it's still going on. Well, I'm not saying God can't do it. It's not his normal way of doing things. Uh, interesting, uh, not too long ago, saw an article where uh, one of the preachers in the Appalachian Mountains, they like to handle rattlesnakes because of this passage. Well, he had been bitten a few too many times, and it, it finally killed him. Kind of like, well, I imagine when he got up to heaven, God might have said, what on earth were you doing that for? <laughs> but again, okay, fine, that's between him and God. Uh, when we go to Luke chapter 24, 47 to 49. This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead uh, the third day, and repentance for, uh, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. For as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So uh, he gives them the promise of the Spirit again. But notice what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go around telling people uh, that uh, forgiveness of sins, and they would be forgiven if they'd repent. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, repent means a change of mind. That's, that's what the word means. Metanoia. Meta, uh, change or after. Uh, noia is the mind. And so it's a, it's a change of the mind. So what change in the mind has to be made? Well, Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this isn't the saying of words. This is a recognition. I have been living my life as though I was God, as though I was the boss. And as I come to him, I'm recognizing I'm not the boss. Now, I still crawl up on the throne from time to time. You know what I'm talking about. But who's the boss? He is. And I I don't like using the term boss, but that's how we live by who's who gets to make this decision. Well, I do. I am a free American. Uh huh. And look at where it's gotten us. Um, you know, I tell people my dad was a drunk. Uh, we like to call it alcoholism. It's a disease he couldn't help himself. And I want you to understand, he chose to get drunk. 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 And then somewhere in a rush, he became enslaved to his sin. Okay? Now, we want to make it as though he's not responsible, but he chose. He chose. He chose. Now, you can say, well, it's in his genes. Well, I'll give you that his iniquitous twist is in his genes. It showed itself through the uh, over-consumption of alcohol. Uh, 
Um, but I have those same genes, and I was on that path before I got saved. And uh, people like to say, well, now it's the overconsumption of food. You ask my wife, I, I really do not eat. In fact, I probably undereat. The only time I ever lost weight was when I was eating every two hours. And I was eating more than the diet actually called for, and I was still losing weight. So there's some tricks going on in there. Uh, and we can, we can talk about all that junk. But the reality is, is am I twisted towards overconsumption? Yeah, just like my dad. It just showed itself in a different way. Okay? So uh, repentance uh, for forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed. Uh, look, you've been running your life as though you're the boss, and, and you can continue to do so. But if you don't believe, you're going to be condemned. If you believe, you'll be forgiven. Okay, and then, of course, uh, the last passage in John chapter 20, uh, verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, once again, so that you don't get the idea that this is for the disciples and not for us. How did the Father send him? He laid aside the use of his non-communicable attributes. He walked as a man in full dependence upon the Father and the Holy Spirit to do anything. How are we supposed to walk? As human beings, in full dependence upon the Father and the power of the Spirit, to do anything that is, has eternal value. Oh. And, and who's supposed to walk like that? The twelve disciples. No, all of us. So these commissioning passages are for us, and they're based upon the fact that Christ rose from the grave. Hmm. You'll notice uh, number nine in your, uh, oh, uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight, of course, also has a commission, if you will. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So Jerusalem, hometown, if you will, Judea, the region around it, uh, Samaria, uh, well, that's still part of our country, but it's the place where the people we don't really like live. Uh, so the undesirables, if you will. Uh, so uh, Hillary, she should be preaching the gospel to everybody. because That's a conservative anyway, because uh, we're the undesirables. <laughs> but, um, um, and then wherever you go in the world. Now, that might mean you might actually choose to go someplace in the world, or you might be on vacation going to Alaska. Well, if you get the opportunity, you should preach the gospel there. Well, we didn't get it, go to Alaska. We went to Florida. Well, then preach the gospel there. Well, we went to Bermuda. Well, preach the gospel there, wherever you're going, okay? Uh, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Uh, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness and to witness. So that brings us to number nine, his ascension. Uh, when we deal with his ascension, I have to look at my verses. Did I pull those up? I did not shame on me. Okay, when we deal with his ascension, first of all, in order to ascend, if you died, you kind of got to rise again, right? But his ascension is where he goes from being God's servant here 
to sitting at the right hand of the Father where He is reigning. Okay, so this deals more with His kingship than uh, just His uh, messiahship, if you will. Uh, the rising again deals more with His messiahship. The ascension deals uh, with His uh, kingship. So as far as His ascension goes, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 19 it says, Then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up uh, into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. In uh, Luke twenty four fifty one, it says, And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, uh, this is right after he gives them that commissioning verse. It says, After he had said this, he was taken up uh, as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do, you, why, are you, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you in, uh, into heaven will come in the same way, and you have seen him going, uh, same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Uh, this is one of those verses that, again, I recognize there are people that have other views, and uh, you know how I joke, they can be wrong too. Uh, but uh, he ascends into the clouds, and when he comes back for the rapture, he's going to descend in the clouds. Now, why is that important? Because over the next few weeks, as we deal with uh, ramifications of the resurrection on the Christian life, uh, ultimately, we're recognizing because he rose again, he's coming back. And in the fact that he is coming back, we, we, first of all, are blessed to be children of God. But if you truly have this hope in you that he's coming back, and he's coming back to get you, uh, John says, he that has this hope in him purifies himself. Now, I don't know about you, but as you're going through the green letters, you might get the idea that um, the battle to purify yourself, to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, it is definitely one of those things, it takes a while, okay? And God actually brings us through things to show us stuff that need to be worked on. And then he, he wants you to be frustrated enough with trying to work on it that you'll finally surrender and say, okay, God, do it. <laughs> and then he still takes his sweet old time because his perfect plan is going to uh, come to fruition in its perfect time. I remember when I, uh, when I got saved, I, I read through the book of Romans. And, you know, the first couple of chapters are a little depressing because the conclusion is we're a bunch of dirty, rotten scum of the earth sinners. <laughs> um, chapters 4 and 5 are okay. And then you get into chapters 6, 7, and 8. And the, the thing about 6, 7, and 8 was I could see these were important passages, but I didn't understand them. And so when I first got into ministry, I'm 30 years old. I'm working under a pastor that has been in the ministry for 37 years. And I say, Lord, well, no, I say, uh, Pastor, you, you really need to help me understand these, this passage. I know it's important, but I don't get it. And he goes, 
I don't think I get it either. At which point I'm going, hey, God, we're never going to get this. <laughs> uh, because I had been asking at that time, probably for eight or nine years, to get an understanding of what that passage was about. And, you know, um, I've now been saved for 41, going on 42 years. And um, God has opened my eyes to help me understand, I think, for the most part. And I say that because why do I want to get dogmatic? I may still learn a few more things going down the road here. But I kind of understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. It makes good logical sense and all that kind of stuff. But my mind had to be prepared and opened for me to understand it. So in this appropriation uh, concept, if you've read the next chapter, uh, you know that sometimes it takes years to appropriate. But that appropriation, or if you will, that purifying of oneself is all based on the fact that he's coming back. And he's coming back, why? Because he rose from the grave. Long way around that, but that's how it goes. So um, uh, the resurrection of Christ important. And uh, over the next few weeks, we'll examine that concept of its importance to the average believer. So any questions or thoughts? Excellent. Let's pray and we'll let you go. Father, we do thank you. Uh, Thank you for not only the promise of the servant of the Lord, the, the Holy One, Uh, the declaration that he would ultimately take on our sins and pay the price for them, but also the promise that not only would he rise again, but through that resurrection, give us the Spirit. So as we study these things over the next few weeks, we'd ask, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our eyes to the things that you have for us and that uh, you'd pull back the veil so that we might truly understand and live it out for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.